This is the last time I will say, please open to Revelation 22. The last time for right now. Yeah, maybe, you never know. 10 or 15 years, we can get back to it at the pace we're going. This, this will be the eighth book of the Bible I counted yesterday. Eighth book of the Bible we're finishing that we've gone through on Sunday mornings. We've obviously done a lot of others on midweek Bible studies. But we're in Revelation 22. Ecclesiastes says that the end of a thing is better than its beginning. So the end of this study in Revelation, better than the beginning. We started in May last year. So those of you who have been here with us, this is the 32nd week that we've been in Revelation. And I, I hope you have learned from it. I hope it has been helpful to you. It has been helpful to me in studying it. I'm going to read from verse 6 of this chapter to the end, which is verse 21. And I'm going to ask you please to stand, and I'll read this together for us. Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, see that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold... I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. And whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's pray, please. Our Father, how exciting it is to consider these things, to have learned and remembered many things from this book of Revelation. We thank you for giving it to us. Lord, as we conclude our study today, would you give us your grace once again? We need it. 
Give us understanding by your Holy Spirit. We need that too. Lord, you are the author of this book and your Holy Spirit is the teacher of it. So may he do his work in our hearts today. Please anoint me by your Holy Spirit to teach your word accurately and clearly this morning. Lord, that your words would come through loud and clear. Give us ears to hear and give us hearts willing and eager to obey what you show us to do. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Last words are typically important words. They are to be remembered. And these that we read here, this is the last chapter as we have our Bible laid out. These are the last words of the Bible. So what is the last thing God says to us? What does he want us to note? That's what we're considering this morning. The end of this book, uh, some, if you have a study Bible, it may say right that this is the epilogue. This is similar in a lot of ways to the prologue. So the end of the book of Revelation has some similarities to the beginning, and I'll reference those as we get to them. But what we're going to see here that we also saw clear back in chapter 1, 10 months or so ago, 11 months, we're going to see that this book is trustworthy, faithful and true, that God's word is true, that the words of this book of Revelation are from God and they are true. We're going to see that there's a blessing for those who keep the words of this book. Saw that in chapter 1, see it again today. And then we're going to see multiple statements that Jesus is coming. We saw that in chapter 1, we're going to see it over and over in this section. Trying to synthesize a main point for you, this is what I have. Respond correctly to the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, we've studied this, we've spent months studying this, lots of Sundays, So what? What are we supposed to do with it? How should we respond? We need to respond a particular way. I'm going to go a little further than that. There are multiple ways that are right for us to respond to this book. So you had that simple statement? I hope. Tried to make that as simple as I could because I have seven points for you. (laughs) I, I saw that there were multiple and I was looking at different ways I could divide and I thought, well, we're in the book of Revelation. It seems like there should be another list of seven. This is not inspired except that it's the words from the bible and therefore it's inspired here's the list these are right responses to revelation and we'll go through them one or two at a time as we go back through it verse by verse but number one is keep the word that's verse seven keep the word guard it trust it obey it number two worship god and god alone that's verse nine number three don't seal the word spread the word share the word don't lock it up disperse it That's verse 10. Number four, be righteous and holy. That's in verse 11. Number five, do his commandments. That's in verse 14. Number six, don't add or take away from the word. Don't tamper with it. That's verses 18 and 19. And then really, verses 7 and 12 and 20, three times we have it. Be ready for Christ's return. He's coming. Be prepared. Be ready. Expect him to come. We're going to go back to verse 6, and we're going to work our way through this passage. Then he said to me, who's the he? That's the angel who's been talking to John. These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. So this same angel who's been talking to John 
off and on, chapter 20 and, and 21, 22, all, all through here, one of the seven angels with the vials that we talked about earlier, he's saying, these words are faithful and true. God is guaranteeing that the words of this book, the events described in this book, will take place. This is God's word. It is true, and it will come to pass as he has planned it. So these words are faithful and true. They are accurate. He says, this is faithful and true. Now, as I read through these verses, what words stood out? There are some repeated words here. Did anything pop out to you? You kept hearing it, kept reading it? Anything? Here's a hint. I have a word cloud for you. might help you out a little bit. Any repeated words, you think? The way these work is that if it's repeated multiple times, it's bigger. Big enough probably for you to see where you're sitting. Any words that you kept reading, hearing over and over? Come on, you out there? Things, yeah? Words, yes. Any others? Book, yes. Words and book. We're going to see those a lot. Let me focus on words and book for just a minute. In verse 6, we have these words. In verse 7, we have the words of the prophecy of this book. In verse 9, we have the words of this book. In verse 10, we have the words of the prophecy of this book. Verse 18, the words of the prophecy of this book. Verse 19, the words of the book of this prophecy. I don't think that John was getting paid by the word and just filling this last chapter out. I think there's something here God wants us to know, and that's that the words matter. I believe, I hope you believe, that the words of Scripture, the very words, are inspired. The autographs, when they were originally given to the human authors by the Holy Spirit, it was perfect. Now, can there be a scribal error here and there? Yes, there are some differences. I'll even talk about a couple probably today while we're going through these verses. But it is inspired, the very words. Jesus talked about every jot, every tittle will be fulfilled. And that's important. These words, the book of this prophecy, the prophecy of this book, this is not just a bunch of fairy tales. None of the Bible, but particularly the book of Revelation has been under attack for centuries. This is impossible to understand, or this is all symbolic, or this, this, there are symbols and there is literal. And we've, we've tried to study it accurately and take it at face value, literally where we can, and symbol, symbolically where it is defined to be symbols. But it is from God, and it is his word, and it is faithful, and it is true. Why is it given to us? It says, to show. Why is the book of Revelation given to us? To reveal the things that must soon take place. To tell us the things that are going to happen. Who is it spoken to? Who is it given to? His servants. If you can remember back that far, the seven churches in Asia, the members of those churches, it's given to them and it's given to us as those who are part of the church here and now. And it's to tell us the things which must shortly take place. Does that word grab you shortly? Shortly? He wrote this almost 2,000 years ago. Does that sound short to you? It doesn't, doesn't sound short to me either. But shortly is the same as the word quickly we're going to have three times. And we've talked about this one before. It's related to our English word tachometer. What it means is that when it happens, it's going to happen quickly. Now, Jeffrey just mentioned it, two days. Where's he getting that? He's getting that from Second Peter that 
with the Lord, a thousand, thousand years is, is but a day, whether that's literal or not, God doesn't measure time the way we do. We've, we've talked about that throughout the book of Revelation, that when there's judgment to come, God has a different system. It's not necessarily a calendar the way we think of it, rather than he's giving time for repentance. He's waiting until all who will repent do. Turn from their wickedness and come to him. And now it's time for all of this to break loose. So when he says shortly, it doesn't necessarily mean when John was writing, but what it means is that once these begin, these events, they will take off. Somebody said, rev up like an engine and increase in speed. That's the idea. So we get through one verse of our passage for today, and all of a sudden, it's as if the Lord interrupts. If you have a modern translation with quotations, it's probably in quotes in verse 7. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I am coming quickly. What's this saying? Jesus is coming. And he's coming quickly, soon, rapidly. You pick your adverb. But he is coming. Do you believe that this morning? He is coming. Some form of that word come or coming appears seven times in this chapter. And the Greek word related to tachometer, we talked about that a minute ago, it can mean soon, it can mean quickly. And if I had you raise your hands, probably about half of you would have soon, half of you would have quickly in the translations you have with you. But the fact is that both are true. From a heavenly standpoint, he's not limited by time the way we think of as time. And certainly once it begins, it's going to occur quickly. So in light of the fact that he could return at any time, I believe the next thing that would happen is the rapture, that he would call us to meet him in the air. Those who are believers will meet him in the air. How should we respond to that? What should our response be? The answer is we should keep the words of the prophecy of this book. We should keep the prophetic words. We should obey God's word. And that was the first of my list, the responses to Revelation. Keep the word. Guard it. Preserve it. Obey it. Follow it. This is the sixth of the seven blessings. It says blessed, blessed. At the beginning of the book, there was a blessing. In fact, I'll, I'll put it on the screen. You don't have to turn back there if you don't want to. But Revelation 1.3 said, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Hopefully you have your copy of the scriptures in front of you for chapter 22. There were three back in chapter one. How many of there are, are there in chapter 22? Do you see read in that verse? I'm talking about verse seven. Do you see read? Do you see hear? Do you see keep? Yes. Why is it different? Because this is a letter that was written to be read in the churches, and by the time they get to chapter 22 in our Bibles, they've heard it. They've read it. But what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to keep it. That's the first response for us. In looking at responses to Revelation, we are supposed to keep, obey God's word. Verse 8 says, Now I, John... He's letting us know, I'm the one writing this, and I was an eyewitness. I saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. He's an eyewitness, and he's letting us know, 
It's me, it's John. And I saw and I heard what I have written down for you to hear and to read and to obey now. Also in his gospel, he mentioned somebody. Remember the disciple Thomas? He has a nickname that we often call him. What Thomas? What's the adjective? Doubting Thomas, yeah. Why? Because he did not want to believe at first that the risen Christ had appeared to the other disciples because he wasn't there that first time. The next week, Jesus came and he said, look, behold, it is I. Look at the nail, the scars in my hands, wrists probably. Look in my side. Look at this. Put your fingers there. Feel it. I'm Jesus and I'm alive and I'm risen. I'm in my resurrected body. And here's what John wrote about that. Jesus said to him, this is John 20, 29, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Those are the people I'm talking to in this room. If you're a believer, people online joining us, if you're a believer, blessed are you because you have believed without seeing. John got to see these visions. John got to interact with Jesus in his earthly body, fulfilling his earthly ministry for three years. Thomas did too, but Jesus is saying to them, blessed are those who haven't seen and yet have believed. John saw, John heard, then it says he heard and saw, and how did he respond? He fell down in worship. He's overcome again. And some of you are thinking, didn't he do that before? Yes, he did that before. It's chapter 19. Chapter 19, he fell before the angel, and the angel same angel, it seems, responds the same way, stop it, knock it off, don't do that. That's what verse nine says in the Bob paraphrase. Then he said to me, see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren the prophets and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. Only God is worthy of worship. He is worthy of worship, let's not forget that, but only he is worthy of worship. Nothing he has created, including angels, including saints, including Mary, including any good person, any good angel you can think of, they aren't worthy of worship. And as you read the Bible, they weren't allowed to be worshiped. They did not accept worship. But there's one who did. He is the lamb who was slain for the foundation of the world. Jesus accepts worship. He is worthy of our worship. So that is our command, to worship God. That's our second response to Revelation. Number two, worship God. There in verse nine that I just read. And we're going to go straight into verse 10. Don't seal the word. That's our third one. Verse 10 says this. And he, still the angel it seems, said to me, John, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. This is the opposite of what God told Daniel. He told him there were certain things a couple times in that book. Seal that up. Earlier in this book, there were the seven thunders. And John was said, don't write that one down. That's not for everybody. That's not, not yet. But most of this book is given to us. And it's not supposed to be sealed up. It is not supposed to be avoided at all costs. Well, that's confusing or that's scary and I don't want to read that. No, there's a blessing of all the books of the Bible. This is the one that says, blessed are those who hear and those who read and those who do. And that's why we've spent so many weeks doing this, because this is valuable stuff. This is what Jesus wants his churches to know at the end of the age. So don't seal it up. Don't hide it. Don't hide it under a bushel. Don't keep it from people. Share it. Spread it. Why? Because the time is at hand. 
when he comes, he will come, we, we see multiple places elsewhere in the New Testament, he'll come like a thief in the night, he'll, he'll come quickly, he'll come unexpectedly. And when he comes, there's no chance to change your mind at that point. And that's the reason we have verse 11. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Is that saying, oh, it doesn't matter. Just stay the way you are. No, it's saying that when he comes, it's too late. Those who have been filthy, those who have refused the grace offered in salvation, if they have refused that, they will remain in their sin. They will be condemned for it. They will suffer the righteous judgment of a holy God for eternity. Moving on to the fourth response. Be righteous and holy. That is what we are supposed to do. There are those who will remain in their sin. They will remain filthy. They will remain unjust. But what are we supposed to do? We are supposed to remain holy. Verse 12, it's the second of Jesus' statements. And behold, I am coming quickly. He said that before. Must be important. He's repeating it. And my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. This is the second occurrence, but this time he adds a little more information. The new information is the reward. My reward is with me. When he says behold, that's like saying, look, hey, pay attention. That's what that word means. Behold. So, hey, Let me get your attention. I am coming quickly. And he adds, my reward is with me. Those who have believed in him are going to receive a reward. We've talked about that a little bit here and there. The judgments of the end times are according to works. Not because I'm saved by my works, but I'm rewarded for the good works that by his grace I have done. Because my sin was judged on the cross. That's over and done. Those who are still in their sins, those who have remained filthy, they were judged at the great white throne. They were judged according to their works. We covered that. But we are rewarded according to the good works that we have done. It will be tested, Corinthians tells us. And his reward is with him. Then we have some statements about Jesus, verse 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. You say, we've covered this. Yes, we have, so I'll go through it quickly. But Alpha, Omega, first and last letter of the Greek alphabet, saying that he's the beginning and the ending. That's the next statement, the beginning and the end. But back in chapter 1, verse 8, when we had that statement, I am the Alpha, Omega. Back in the previous chapter, verse 6, when we had that statement, it was about God. Who's talking now? Jesus. Jesus is God. It's proof of his deity. The beginning and the end. Someone said this expresses Jesus' sovereignty and eternal nature. No one is before him and no one is after him. He started everything. He will complete everything. Christ controls all of history and all of eternity. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. The first and the last 
that would have clicked with them as well because there are two passages in Isaiah where the Lord God is called the first and the last. Who is called the first and the last here? Jesus. Jesus is God. This is claiming deity for him. We've had four right responses that we've covered so far. To keep the word, to worship God, not to seal the word, to be righteous and holy, and to do his commandments. That's where we are now. Number five, verse 14, blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Blessed are those who do his commandments. We don't do his commandments to earn eternal life. We can't do that. We can't obey the commandments completely or perfectly. We won't. And we have broken them, and that's why we need him as our savior, our rescuer. But those good works are proof. They are evidence that we have been given eternal life. I put my faith in him. I have a love for him and desire to serve him. And as I do good works, they are the good works that Ephesians 2 tells us they were set out beforehand for us to do. Ephesians 2.10. So there are works for us to do. And some of you are thinking, what is he reading? Well, some translations here say, blessed are those who do his commandments. And others say, blessed are those who wash their robes. Either way, we're talking about believers. Let's explore that idea, wash their robes for just a minute. Back in 714, those who were redeemed are described as those who have washed their robes and made them white, how? In the blood of the lamb. We have some hymns and gospel songs we sing about that. Here's one. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you? Are you? Does that describe you this morning? That you have received purified, whitened garments that are the righteousness of Jesus. That he has clothed you in his righteousness. That he has cleansed you from sin. So which is it? I don't know exactly because there are manuscript schools on either side. But either way, it means the same thing. It's talking about the redeemed. It's talking about believers. Blessed are those who are believers, who do his commandments and who have washed their robes. What do we get? That just popped into my head. It almost sounds like a game show. Tell them what they've won. Here's what you get. Look at it. The right to the tree of life and the right to enter through the gates into the city. Is this not great? To wash our robes to get to eat of the tree of life, to get to enter into the city, which means to enjoy the eternal presence of God, to be in his presence, to see his face like we talked about last time. But in contrast to those who wash their robes, those who do his commandments, there's another group, isn't there, in verse 15. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral immoral and murderers and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. Outside. Outside where? I don't know. Jesus described hell as outer darkness in one of the Gospels. So outside the city, outside the gates, we know that those who were judged and condemned at the great white throne judgment back in chapter 21, they are in the lake of fire. So the emphasis here isn't 
on where they are, being outside, but rather that no one who is evil, no evil, no sinner can enter the presence of God or harm, harass his people. That's good news. Now, is it coming out here that John was a cat lover and not a dog lover? Is that the point of this? Definitely not. has nothing to do with it. This isn't talking about animals. It's talking about people who are of low character. I'll leave you to the study of that. There's some interesting groups of people in the Old Testament who are described as dogs. But these are those who have given themselves over to their lust. They have fulfilled whatever they wanted to do, same way a dog would. And those are the ones who are excluded. And, and the list here is in some ways similar. We've seen other lists already. But it says dogs, sorcerers, again the idea of drugs in the worship of Satan and demons. Sexually immoral, that word that we keep seeing in Revelation describing the unsaved porneia, fornication. Idolaters, those who are following after worshiping a false god, worshiping anything created. And liars. Now, if you're like me, you're a believer, but you say, well, I've committed some of those sins. Does that mean I'm going to be excluded from the kingdom? And the answer is no. The answer is that because I have committed some of those sins and others against God, I needed to have my robes washed in the blood of the Lamb. But that was covered in the previous verse, wasn't it? So don't, don't sit here. Don't listen online and think, I've sinned one of those sins. I'm going to be damned forever. No. What sends people to hell? Refusal to believe in Jesus as Savior. Committing sins is what we have to be cleansed from. What does 1 John 1, 9 tell us? It says that he is faithful and he is righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And my sins are judged and my sins are forgiven because of the blood of Jesus. Verse 16. The only time this appears this way in the Bible. I, Jesus. It's the emphatic. You read some of Paul's letters and he'll say, I, Paul, I'm writing this with my own hand or, or whatever. I, Jesus, what's he going to say? We better pay attention. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. He's speaking directly. He's speaking emphatically. He's giving his authority to these words. And he's speaking to the churches. How the churches get the information? We know from chapter 1 and what he's saying here that Jesus gave the message through an angel to John and to the churches. So he's given his message to the churches. Side note, this is the first time the churches have been mentioned since chapter 3, verse 22. The root and offspring of David. What does that mean? It means that as the creator of the universe, he's responsible for David existing. But he's also the son of David because he's the Messiah. He's both. What does this tell us? It's pointing out his deity and his humanity. He is the God-man. He's the bright and morning star. I'm no astronomer, but a lot of people think this is probably referring to Venus, that brightest star, planet, in the sky, at the darkest point of night, before dawn. It's letting us know that dawn is going to happen. It's coming. 
Jesus is coming. That's John's point. Jesus is coming. He is the bright and morning star. He's telling us that he's coming. He will arrive. Verse 17. This is the response to Jesus' statement. And the spirit and the bride, the people of God, say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts say, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. So this response to the statement by Jesus of being the bright morning star, come on, bring it on, come, come now. That's the Spirit's response. That's the church's answer to this promise that he's coming. This is the final time the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the Bible. And what's he doing? He's working in and through and with his church. Yep. This is also the final invitation in the Bible. It's to come. You say, Revelation is a tough book. It's hard. It's reading about all this judgment. What's the invitation at the end of the book? Come. Anybody can come. Do you see that there? If you're thirsty, come to Jesus. He has the water of life. Come to him. Satisfy your thirst in him, that living water. So here's a question for you, based on verse 17. Who can come to Jesus and be saved? Do you see the progression there? Him who hears. If you can hear my voice right now, raise your hand. Okay, you can come to Jesus. If you're thirsty, I've been seeing some of you drink water. I I got some just a second ago. Are you thirsty? Spiritually speaking, you can come to Jesus. Whoever desires, whoever wants to come, can come to Jesus. You say, but what about election? What about predestination? Yes, the Bible teaches those things. My goal is not to get sidetracked on that this morning. But the fact is that the invitation is there. Come. We're saying, come, Jesus. And Jesus is saying, come to me. Same way he said while he was on earth. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. The invitation's open. Don't get hung up, hung up on, oh, I don't know if I'm elect. I don't, I don't know if I, I did too much bad stuff. Whoever desires to come. Do you want Jesus to save you? He will save you. Call on his name. He will save you. Now, right now. It's an unlimited offer of grace and salvation. That's how John MacArthur described it. To all who desire to have their thirsty souls quenched. Now, just as there's a blessing for those who follow God's word and obey his word, there's also a curse on those who don't. This is our sixth response to Revelation. Don't add or take away from the word. This is verses 18 and 19. They go together. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life. Some of your translations there say his share in the tree of life. From the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. So there's a, if you add to God's word, here's what he's going to add to you, plagues. If you take away from God's word, here's what he's going to take away from you, your opportunity to experience the tree of life. And have eternal life in the presence of God. The blessings written in this book. 
the holy city. When Jesus walked on earth, there were groups, religious leaders, who did this very thing. We have the Pharisees who thought, the law of Moses isn't enough, we're going to add a few more rules. In fact, dozens more rules, just to make sure that there are lots of rules so we can keep the rules so that we look righteous and holy. And they were adding to God's word. At the same time, that other group that we read about, the Sadducees, they were taking away. They said, only the books of Moses, only the first five books of the Bible, the way we think of it, are God's word. And we don't believe in miracles. We don't believe in angels. We don't believe in resurrection. And they were taking away from it. Can you think of any groups today who are taking away from the word of God or adding to the word of God? Oh, we have a new vision from an angel. In fact, we have a new scripture. This isn't very new, but the Koran, the Book of Mormon. That's adding. And he said, don't do that. What about taking away from? Oh, I know the Bible talks about hell. Oh, I know the Bible talks about homosexuality. That, that's just, that's all symbolic. That's all just part of a cultural difference. And they explain away and try to rip out in the same way that I've heard some of the deists, the founders of our country, cut out the parts of the Bible they disagreed with or they didn't like or they didn't believe. Don't do that. Don't try to add what's not there. Yes, to the book of Revelation, yes, to the the entire Bible. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Why? Because there's a curse promised to you. Those who will add or take away from the gospel and from this book are those, it's another way of describing what we had in a previous verse, those who are outside the city those who will not have access to the tree of life. So that gets us to these last couple of verses. The seventh response to the revelation of Jesus Christ. Be ready for Christ's return. Let's play a little game. Here are the three statements. And I want you to tell me what's different. Okay? Which one of these is not like the other, right? Behold, I am coming quickly. That's verse 7. And behold, I am coming quickly. That's verse 12. Surely, I am coming quickly. Verse 20. What's different? Surely. This time it says surely. That's not so hard to figure out, but what does that mean? Verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, surely, I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. What does surely mean? It means without doubt. Certainly, it's going to happen. Surely I am coming quickly, suddenly, rapidly. And what's on the other side of that in this verse? Amen. What does amen mean? Truly, verily, guaranteed, right on. That's what that means. So what this is doing, someone said, this is the final announcement of Christ's coming, and it's wrapped in words that emphasize its certainty. Surely, amen. What's in between? Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Why is he delayed? It's been almost 2,000 years. So that more would repent and be saved. If he had come when John was alive, where would we be? Never been born. Wouldn't have eternal life with him. So he invites us to come. And the response there is, is even so, come, Lord Jesus. 
The Greek there is Maranatha. You may have heard the word Maranatha. Some churches, I think, have called themselves that or other groups. That was a response. Now, two weeks from today, in that service, I will likely say once, probably multiple times, he is risen, to which you will respond. Yeah, that's about the way the first one's going to go, too. He is risen. That's better. That, the way that response is that we're more familiar with, that would have been, this is the response that they would have had when somebody says, he is coming quickly, even so, come Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come quickly. This is a response. In fact, Paul talks about it in his letter to Corinth. So that's our response. And any believer in Christ, that should be our response. We read the words, behold, I'm coming quickly. Surely I'm coming quickly. Come, Lord, please come now. Now's good. The sooner the better. And then we end John's letter, John's book, received from Jesus Christ, with a statement that's familiar. We see it other places, other letters in the New Testament. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Grace. In our English Bible, so we have our Bibles laid out. What's the last book of the Old Testament? Anybody remember? Malachi. Malachi. You know how Malachi ends? Talks about the hearts of the fathers being turned to the children, the children to the fathers. Talks about the forerunner, John the Baptist. Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. In the Old Testament, talks about judgment. Talks about a curse. How does the New Testament end? A blessing. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you. This is the promise. The book that is the revelation of Jesus Christ to show us Jesus Christ, to show us the things that must take, come to pass, must take place, ends with the prayer that the grace of Jesus Christ would be with his people. One of my study Bibles said that Revelation is above all a book of hope. It shows that no matter what happens on earth, God is in control. It promises that evil will not last forever. And it depicts the wonderful reward that is waiting for all those who believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. My main point, my goal for this morning is for you to think about how you should respond to this revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation demands a response. What should your response be? Well, I've given you seven possibilities. There may be more that I overlooked. But to keep the word, to worship God, not to seal the word, but to share it, to spread it, to be righteous and holy, to do his commandments, not to add or take away from or tamper in any way with the word, and to be ready for his return. Anyone in the room who is not yet a believer, anyone watching or listening online, how should you respond to the revelation of Jesus? To believe in him, to call on him as Savior and Lord. It's as simple as that? Yeah. To believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the rescuer. 
believers. How will you respond to the revelation of Jesus Christ? Will you worship him? Will you witness for him? Will you wait for him, being ready for his return? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Anyone in the room who would say, I'm concerned about my soul. If Jesus could come back today, I don't know that I'm ready. But I would like to know. I am concerned. If that describes you, let me know. Raise your hand. Put it back down. Make eye contact with me. Okay, believers in the room. Is there something that the Holy Spirit has pinpointed in your life this morning? Some change you need to make, some sin you need to repent of, something that you maybe did a long time ago, but you need to start doing it again. Something specific. Not just, yeah, I need to be a better person, but you need to stop lying or you need to believe the truth that God is sovereign and he's control of your life. If that describes you this morning, you'd like me to pray for you as I close. Would you do the same? Just slip your hand up, put it back down, or make eye contact with me. Anyone else? Our Father, this is your word and it is great and it accomplishes what you send it to do. So may it do so in us today. Lord, you've promised blessing for those who will do your word. So please do not let us go from here just having heard it, just having learned some new fact, but that we would be doers, that we would obey your word, that we would respond in these ways. And whatever you, Holy Spirit, are prompting our hearts toward, may we do it. May we obey you. May we love you more. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray.